last class we completed the study of the first chapter of the gospel of sri ramakrishna today we will enter into the second chapter in the company of devotees march 11 1882 about 8 o'clock in the morning sri ramakrishna went as planned to balaram bose house in calcutta it was the day of the dol yatra ram manomohan rakhal a devoted disciple of the master later known as swami brahmananda nitya gopal and other devotees were with him m2 came as bidden by the master the devotees and the master sang and danced in a state of divine fervor several of them were in an ecstatic mood Nitya Gopal's chest glowed with the upsurge of emotion and Rakhal lay on the floor in ecstasy completely unconscious of the world the master put his hand on Rakhal's chest and said peace be quiet this was Rakhal's first experience of ecstasy he lived with his father in calcutta and now and then visited the master about this time he had studied a short while in vidyasagar's school at shampukur when the music was over the devotees sat down for their meal balaram stood there humbly like a servant nobody would have taken him for the master of the house em was still a stranger to the devotees having met only narendra at dakshineshwar A few days later, Aim visited the master at Dakshineshwar. It was between four or five o'clock in the afternoon. The master and he were sitting on the steps of the Shiva temples, looking at the temple of Radha Kanta. Across the courtyard, the master went into an ecstatic mood. Since his nephew Ridha's dis- dismissal from the temple. Sri Ramakrishna had been living without an attendant on account of his frequent spiritual moods he could hardly take care of himself the lack of an attendant caused him great inconvenience sri ramakrishna was talking to kali the divine mother of the universe he said mother everyone says 
my watch alone is right. The Christians, the Brahmos, the Hindus, the Muslims all say, my religion alone is true. But mother, the fact is that nobody's watch is right. Who can truly understand thee? But if a man prays to thee with a warm, with a warming heart, he can reach thee through thy grace by any path. Mother, show me sometime how the Christians pray to thee in their churches. But mother, what will people say if I go in? Suppose they make a fuss. Suppose they don't allow me to enter the Kali temple again. Well then, show me the Christian worship from the door of the church. So here we find that one of the pertinent teachings of the master is being highlighted. As many ways, so many paths, all the ways are paths which can take us to the absolute reality. But at the same time, each of the path is having its own defects. None that as he was mentioning, that nobody's watch is right. What actually Sri Ramakrishna means by saying that, that as long as we are within the domain of belief, within the domain of doctrines and dogmas, all our thought processes are just concepts. In this life, most of the time we confuse the concept with the truth. The truth is never the concept. The example which we give again and again, that suppose a man who have tasted the mango, he goes and describes the taste of mango to a group of people who have never tasted the mangoes. What the man says, just to describe the taste of mango, he says, it is sweet and it has a nice flavor. Those who listen, they think that they have understood. Now they all will develop a concept of the taste of mango. What the concept, how it develops? That we do have certain fund of experiences. And when someone speaks to us, what we do? We relate to those funds of experiences which we already have and try to decipher the meaning of the words. Entire language is actually what? It's actually an encoded experience. What I experience? I encode it in a form of language and that can be decoded only by those who have similar experiences. If you don't have the similar experience, you can never decode the language. Language by itself means nothing. Language is only possible when we have the same type of experiences. I have experience, you have the same experience, and then only I can encode my experience through language and you can decode it as you have the same experience. If you don't have, it is almost impossible. So here also what happens when a person who have tested the mango, he says that mango is sweet, it has a nice flavor. All the people do have experience of something sweet. They do have the experience of something which has nice flavor. Now they try to relate his words with their available fund of experience. 
and all the concept develops. One will say the mango is as sweet as molasses and its flavor most probably is something like jasmine. If something, if the molasses was flavored with the smell of jasmine, that's what the taste of mango is. So what he's doing, he has most probably smelled jasmine. He has tasted molasses and the words which has been spoken by the one who has tasted mango, he's relating with his fund of experiences and a concept is developed. Someone says, no, it is as sweet as honey and it has a fragrance of rose. He's also doing the same thing. And we find hundreds of concepts are developing. So now you will understand why Sri Ramakrishna is saying, nobody's watch is right. Because it is just a matter of belief. It's a matter of concept. It is just a matam, as in the few days in some different class we were saying in the Gita class, that there's a difference between tattva and mata. Tattva is the truth. Mata is an opinion. So these are all opinions which are growing. None of them are correct. But we go on fighting, saying my way of thinking is right, yours is wrong. Who can, that's, the, that's what the next Swami, uh, Sri Ramakrishna is saying, what? Who can truly understand thee? But if a man prays to thee with a warming heart, with a warning heart, he can reach thee through digress by any path. So this is an interesting thing that what I believe is not at all important. Once Swami Vivekananda came and was conversing with Ramakrishna and on the process of conversation, Swami Vivekananda told that such and such faith is a blind faith. They believe in all sorts of nonsense. It's a blind faith. Ramakrishna immediately replied, retorted back very nicely, told, well, can you tell me which belief, which faith has eyes? Faith means blind. Can faith have eyes? Faith means something which I haven't realized, I believe. All faiths are blind. Can you say me which faith has eyes? That was his reply. The same thing, nobody's watch is right. But, the, what's, but is there no importance of the faith? No. Whatever may be your faith, apparently it may have no sense. But if with the whole simplicity of your heart, you believe in it, how intensely you believe in it, on that depends your realization. The entire world of spiritual realization has a science. What's the science? That what I believe is not at all important. Some may say my belief system is very scientific. And you may say such and such belief system has no science behind it. It is all rubbish. But we find that whatever may be the belief in all the religious traditions, we do have illumined souls who have reached the spiritual realization. Their life shows that. Then how come some wrong belief can take us to the realization? What I believe is not at all important in spiritual life. The problem is our rational mind comes in between and with that rational mind, we start thinking what is right, what is wrong, and it has its own limitation. It can never take me to the goal. What's the science behind spiritual realization? Whatever you may believe, that's not important. How intensely you believe that's important. What happens? If I believe any notion 
which may apparently appear to be totally irrational. But with the simplicity of heart, I believe in it. What happens that the signs are first with the repeated, the what I believe that I practice with the repeated practice. A, de- a deep groove is, samskara is formed in your mind. The more the deep is the samskara, the more intense is your practice. The more intense is your practice, the more it makes you forgetful of a, all other things in your life. Your mind gets more and more focused to that belief, whatever it may be. And as we told, that first is the neuroplasticity. In the present model language, that with the neuroplasticity, I'm creating a path in the mind. The, once the path is created, I develop a taste for it. I start liking it. It becomes a passion of my life. And that passion, what it, it does, it makes me focused. And one, as you develop focus, other things starts falling off. As we have told repeatedly, the mind has a limited power of processing information. When I am talking to you, conversing with you, someone calls, I can hear. Because only a small part of my mind is required to carry on the conversation with you. The other mind is free. It can hear if someone is calling me. But when I'm intently watching a movie or some match is going on, the football tournament is going on, I'm intently watching it. Someone calls, I don't hear. I'm intently reading the newspaper. Someone calls, I don't hear. What has happened? Most of the mind has been taken away by the thing on which I am focused. So though the sound is hearing my ears, is entering my ears, the mind has no, the no part of the mind is left to process that. So the sound is entering your ears, is reaching your mind, but it is not processed. You don't hear it. Simply that's what happened. So that speaks of what? That when I am engrossed, the more and more I'm engrossed, if I'm engrossed in some performing, uh, uh, in some musical instrument, if I can get really engrossed, it can take me to that state of flow where everything else falls off, not only the external things, Even I may forget my hunger, thirst. I may be playing for hours together. The surgeon who has to be focused when he's operating on a patient, we find that generally for us, if we have to stand for half an hour, our our leg starts aching. And the surgeon standing in the OT operation theater operates on the patient for eight hours, nine hours, if the complicated operation is there without taking any rest. How is it possible? He most probably uh, just um, uh, in the normal day-to-day life, if you ask him just to stand for half an hour, he starts feeling uneasy. But in the OT, he's standing for eight hours. Why? He's extremely focused. He knows that the scalpel with which he is operating, if it is misjudged a little, it can be at the cost of the life of the patient. He has to be very focused. And that focus, a tremendous focus. Now what happens? The mind gets dislodged, disconnected from all other things. He forgets his hunger, thirst, tiredness, pain, aches. They are there. The mind is not registering it. He has also entered into a state of flow. This same thing happens when you create a groove in your mind by repeated practice. And that is possible if you believe in it. With full simplicity, if you believe in it, you can then only have that engrossment. And that engrossment can take you to that flow. 
where everything else you have forgotten. You are absorbed in the practice. You know how the spiritual realization happens? At last, whatever may be your spiritual tradition, the only thing which is obliterating, blocking my realization is this limited sense of my ego. When the ego falls off, immediately you go to that a realization. All the spiritual tradition you will find, they speak of that. When the, reali- the realization may be varied, but when, when, when they go to that realization, they forgot themselves. They were totally lost. So the falling of the ego takes us to the realization. So when the mind gets extremely absorbed at last, a part, a very small part of our mind is always engaged to keep our identity, this limited sense of I intact. At last that also is taken away. And suddenly you find that you are one with your object of meditation. The ego has fallen off. And that takes you to the realization of the spiritual dimension, which is experienceable, but which cannot be described. It is something neotic in the language of philosophy. It is neotic. It is an experience which you cannot explain, but you know that it is not imagination. It is something which you, the way I am uh, visualizing a cup in my, uh, in, my, in my vicinity, that way I have came face to face with the truth. No one can create doubt in your mind. You get fully convinced. As in the Aratrikam song we sing, Gata Sangshaya Dhrira Nishchaya. All the doubts fall off. You have a tremendous conviction. No one, just the way, as long as I have read about the ocean in the textbook, I have not seen. Someone may come and give explanation that there is no ocean. It is all nonsense. And then most probably you may for the time being believe that most probably it's all wrong. But once you have seen the ocean, what will happen? If anyone comes and explains, you will say you are fool. Please stop all this nonsense. I have seen it. Seeing is believing. And that's we find that all the mystics of all the traditions, once through that absorption, go to that realization. And then they come back as a totally transformed man. There, no more Maya works on him. Works on him. The word Maya means Ya. In the last Gita class, we are indicating Ya. Ya means Yatha Yatha. That I think when I'm seeing a thing, I am think, I'm seeing the thing as it is. Yatha Yatha Ya. Ma is in the sense of negating it. That whatever I see is not actually what it is. So for this man of realization, all the delusion falls off. They again come back to this life, but totally transformed. The way we are deluded with our day-to-day life, for him, it becomes just a mere projection. And he becomes fulfilled. So now you will find that though our faith may be something like that watch, it is not giving the correct time, it is something wrong. But it can take us to that realization. Faith is blind but it can open my eyes. To give an example from Ramakrishna's uh, gospel in some other place, he is giving a very nice example that a very simpleton person has no knowledge, very simple. He saw a 
person who initiate initiates many is a family guru and they have something to practice now this simple fellow he seeing others being initiated to some spiritual life he also felt why not me why not i approach when he went to that so called the guru who is to initiate all when he went the guru knew that he is having no knowledge he is ignorant fellow he is a simple fellow he has no idea of spirituality so just to make a fun out of him he initiated him with some nonsense word which has no meaning but this man had tremendous faith repeating that nonsense word he went to the realization this is what sri ramakrishna in some other places relating so this says that what i believe is not important that intensity of purpose that creates that neuroplasticity whether you create a group that sanskara makes you fall in love with it you become passionate with it and that takes you a flow that flow ultimately takes you to that realization so that's the thing now you will relate to, you can relate to this word that mother everyone says my watch alone is right still it is a concept the christians the brahmos the hindus the muslims all say my religion alone is true but mother the fact is that nobody's watch is right there is there no way out the next we will find who can truly understand thee then but if a man prays to thee with a warming heart he can reach thee through thy grace by any path mother show me sometime how the christians pray to thee in their churches but mother what will people say if i go in suppose they make a fuss suppose they don't allow me to enter the kali temple again well then show me the christian worship from the door of the church here also some lesson we have can learn from this line swami vivekananda used to say even ramakrishna have told a very interesting thing avatar gorte ashen bhangte ashen avatar comes to build up not to destroy when they come to a particular type of society with the society has its own set of beliefs they never come to create a turmoil by just saying these are all wrong you will find they adopt to the social norms and taking that to be something which cannot be broken they show the way out why it is important because in our life we will find most of the time we see evil and in our attempt to correct the evil we actually create more evil some problem is there i think i should solve it and i reach out to solve it by going against it and i find the problem has increased just to give a common example here now something happened in bangladesh recently it's very very i would say very very saddening situation we all of us know the hindus have been there tortured massacred the news we are getting throughout the world and if you go to the social media you find there is lot of irresponsible talking that those who have done this they are barbarous they are this they are that we forget one thing 
those who are suffering in Bangladesh, they are the minorities. And they are already there vulnerable. By social media, by saying something nonsense to the one who are responsible for that cruel act, I am actually enraging them for which I have no measure. And I am making those people more vulnerable. So now you will understand just by going to stop the evil, we cannot sometimes we can increase the evil. You have to be very that we do recognize that some wrong act is happening. But can I just simply irresponsibly speak all sorts of nonsense? Is it going to help? That's the thing. You will find that many are saying the government is quiet. The Indian government is sitting there quiet. People are saying whatever they want. Because the government knows if the responsibility, there is a tremendous responsibility of them, on them. They speak a single word that can inflare the entire thing in a much more uh, cruel way. So they have to take this decision very, very diligently. It's not that the measures shouldn't be taken, has to be taken, but they have to be very diligent about it. So just to react to a situation can never be the solution in most of the time. But what can be the solution if I to find out a way out of it? I will just give an example that a Hinduism for the long time was doing that. It was a wonderful uh, way of trying to that accept the situation, but my spiritual journey shouldn't stop. I should find a way out of it. Now, recent stories says that there was the breaking of the idols. Do you know in Hinduism from when this culture, this this uh, practice came to worship the idol and then to immerse it? Many, many we Hindus don't know when we just go and shout at others, but if someone asks that, why do you immerse your image? There is a philosophical reason behind it, but more interesting, before the philosophy, there is a historical reason. What's the historical reason? If you go to India, even now you will find in South India, image worship, that means clay image worship with the practice of immersing them is not there. They have big temples that the deity is there always. There's no question of immersion. You come to the east, the north, the Ganesh Puja, there is immersion here in the east. If you go to see the Durga Puja, Kali Puja, there is immersion. But in the south, it is not there. South, it is always that permanent temples are there with the deity. So why this difference? How it happened? You will find in India had a lot of foreign invasions. With the foreign invasion, especially with the Islamic invasions, we find it never went to the south. The south, because of its geographical barrier or whatever may be the reason, it somehow remained unaffected from all invasions. The invasion, but India was affected by the invasions mainly in the northern India. And the general practice we all know, breaking of the idol, breaking of the temple, and now it became a very, very challenging situation that I want to continue with my faith. I want to continue with my faith, but how? They're all breaking the temple. Now this idea of image worship, not only image worship, uh, this, even in Kali Puja, what happens? The worship is done in the night. 
and in the morning the image is immersed why it all happened that yes there is a fear that my image will be broken so i worship it and immediately immerse it but what how can i just uh, reason how can i just uh, have an idea that the image which i am thinking something livable how can i immerse it so wonderful philosophy is adhered to it what's the idea that the god resides in each and every being even in me the god resides but it is an abstract idea to worship the one who is residing in me it becomes so difficult to so what yes i create an image if you know the image worship in all the image worship the first the image is lifeless there is a concept of prana pratishtha where i imagine the lord who is seated in my heart comes out and resides in the image the now the image has become lively prana pratishtha has been done and i i ask for forgiveness oh lord as i cannot worship you in the abstract form i need something palpable in front of me so i have enshrined you you who reside in my heart you come and enliven in this image and after the worship i say oh lord we reside in my heart now the image is just like a dead body you will find as long as the worship is going on apart from the puja this is the one who is doing the puja no one is allowed to touch the image what to speak of touching the image not to go even near the image once that ritual is done where that the visarjan has been done by the pujari where the prana has been again taken back by the pujari now all are allowed to come and touch you will find in the durga puja before immersion everyone is allowed to touch the deity why now it's just like a dead body everyone can go put uh, vermilion put sweets whatever they want they do and now after that it is immersed so idea is so why it has this they also developed a philosophy behind it so why i am speaking of this when there is the social condition is not favorable the hinduism still exists because of its strength of adaptability it went on adapting it went not adapting now the situation of course has came where even that for 3 days you are not allowed to worship the image it may be massacred it's really a very very uh, endangered situation where we are there that i have no right to practice my religion of course it has to be dealt with but not with the irresponsible way the way we are reacting we forget when we react that way we are already converted to some other religion because that's not the tradition of hinduism to impose to just oppose others through violence through uh, all sorts of abuse the moment i do that if the vengeance comes in me i have already been converted so there we have to be very very responsible so here we find so ramakrishna also is not challenging this belief that the dakshineshwar temple the authorities have the belief that being a hindu you cannot go to the church he is not opposing it even in even in bible the same thing you will find that jesus says that i came to uh, build not to destroy i came to the exact not to destroy is the exact word but i came to build most probably some other word is there but it is the exact idea 
they they come to build not to destroy they accept the social conditions and based on that they try to find out a way where religion can be still practiced well if i cannot enter the church what's the harm in standing in the door of the church and try to relate to the worship so just see here he is adapting to the situation not reacting to it and making this that that way if he is not allowed to enter the uh, temple it in no way is going to help him or anyone else so he keeps he doesn't waste his energy just by creating a turmoil he accepts the social norms and within that still he finds out a way by which he can relate to all so mother show me some time how the christians pray to thee in their churches but mother what will people say if i go in suppose they make a fuss suppose they don't allow me to enter the kali temple again well then show me the christian worship from the door of the church so that eagerness makes him to adapt this is the thing which we should learn from their from the lives that each as we were mentioning that each and every line of the gospel do have so it is not a simple sentence whatever words is coming out from his mouth do some have some significance which we can adopt which we have to adopt in our life so always no even another example i will give many will be asking us that question if you read uh, viveka chudamani there shankaracharya is mentioning that uh, what that uh, the durlabham trayam evaitat what are the three durlabha things three rare things that to get the human birth and then uh, to become something what you say that brahmin and to have the male male body to be born as a male and many will be criticizing shankaracharya by saying that uh, he is also uh, just conforming to the norms of that society where the women were discriminated but again the same thing it's what what he's saying is not discrimination the social that fact is such that their women were considered uh, they, they were considered that they have no right to read the scriptures so he's not going against but at the same time he is prescribing he's showing that what is that accepting the fact that this is the thing so if you are born in a male body of course in this type of society you get the privilege he is not saying that women are uh, something who is not capable what he is saying that this in this present society this norm is such in which if you are born as a male you have a more privilege to practice the spiritual life so if you just relate to those words in the correct perspective you will find they are actually accepting that they don't come to revolutionize the world because as we told you will find that after all revolution the repercussion is something tremendous just see with the idea of communism with such a holy idea even 50 60 years back i saw those people having high highly idealistic and those people themselves are totally at loss when they find that that when they see the history of communism in the in the world how it has it has defeated its own purpose it came for the equality of all and at last whatever may be the reason it has ended up with the most horrible dictators 
all the communist states you will find has ended up with uh, horrible dictators. The, why I'm saying I'm not criticizing anything. The only thing just I, we want to indicate is that, that sometimes just by trying to get a solution of the problem, we create more problem. So the avatar's way of working is different. They take, they know very well that the society as such, the society can never be changed. It will have its own problem. But if I want to be spiritual, I need not fight with the system. Take the system and try to adapt in such a way for that without creating a turbulence. It will disturb your spiritual life. You can go out of it. After all, there is no solution here in this world. Again, because Sri Ramakrishna again and again told, this world is a dog's curly tail. We go on fighting to straighten it, but know it for certain, it can never be straightened. A spiritual person, the one who wants to lead a spiritual life, first should know this fact, that life which I'm leading has nothing to do with this curly tail. I take it to be a fact and try to evolve spiritually, which has nothing to do with this worldly existence. And so that they don't want to create any fuss. They adopt to the situation and try to build with whatever the norms are there. And this do have a lesson for us in our life. Another day, the master, now let us just continue with the next portion. Another day, the master was seated on the small couch in his room with his usual beaming countenance. M arrived with Kali Krishna who did not know where his friend Aim was taking him. He had only been told, if you want to see a grog shop, then come with me. You will see a huge jar of wine there. Aim related this to Sri Ramakrishna, who laughed about it. The master said, the bliss of worship and communion with God is the true wine, the wine of ecstatic love. The goal of human life is to love God. Bhakti is the one essential thing. To know God through jnana and reasoning is extremely difficult. So the bliss of worship and communion with the God is the true wine. The wine of ecstatic love. So why it is wine? In one sense it is wine. It can make you forgetful of the world. But in another sense, it is not the wine. Why? In wine, it makes you forgetful of the world and it makes you unconscious. You are not aware of anything. But this divine love is something where you are extremely aware. Your consciousness is extremely alert. But that is in communion with the divine. Externally, you may look like a something, uh, an inert person, as if totally drunk. But inwardly, you are enjoying that ecstatic, divine bliss. You are extremely alert. More, thousand times more alert than any other being. Their mind is extremely distracted. They can never think of that type of alertness. He is extremely focused, extremely alert. But externally, he looks like as if totally drunk. So this is the true wine. The wine of ecstatic love. The bliss of worship and communion with God is a true wine, the wine of ecstatic love. The goal of human love, life, is to love God. Bhakti is the one essential thing. To know God through jnana and reasoning is extremely difficult. So here again, 
the goal of human life is to love god this is again a very important sentence swami vivekananda in his lecture have told many times that you see the entire civilization as a human being what we are trying with all our gadgets what we are trying we are trying to intensify the sense pleasures that's all the all our science or technology is meant for to intensify our sensual pleasures but can that be the goal of life god has not equipped us for that however we may try can you eat with the same gusto as a dog the way the god the dog relishes his food we can never our senses are not equipped for tasting the food that way the senses of the animals are keen few days back some i saw the uh, an article someone has shared with me that the birds can even uh, feel the magnetic field the, the shifting of the magnetic field and accordingly they can this migrating birds they can migrate there are so many animals before the earthquake can feel that the earthquake is coming just see the senses are so keen the dogs are used for your uh, what you say that all the uh, uh, this to what you say that in to catch the criminals because of the wonderful sense of smell we can with all our technology or gadgets we can never think of intensifying our sensual perceptions and sensual pleasures just the way the animals enjoy god has equipped them with the senses with all our science or technology we can never think of but we waste our energy in that but what the animals cannot do what's our uniqueness to love god to think of god the idea of divinity the god has not given that capacity to any animal as a human being we can relate to the spiritual dimension of existence that is the uniqueness of the human life as in bengali human is called manush and sri ramakrishna who was not educated in so called the uh, our so called academic education he had the freedom to break the words in his own way it has no grammatical meaning he had the freedom because he was not want to that academic education so he broke the word manush in his own unique way he told manush means man plus hush is manush man plus hush in bengali in hindi or other language is hosh so man plus hosh manush what it means very interesting what he is saying is something very interesting that as a human being mana means values we have certain values we have certain measurements mana measurement value which no other creature has but even though we have it we have no awareness of it no hosh no awareness of it unless you have the awareness of all those unique capacities which you have though you look like a human being you are not human being just see how simple words but how profound it is man plus hush is manush the special mana all those values all those intrinsic characteristics as a human those unique characters which i have do am i aware of that if you are not aware you are not a manush you are not a human so that's what that uniqueness he's showing here the goal of human life is to love god the tremendous ecstatic joy 
which can come out of communion with the divine. No creature can think of it. That's our uniqueness. And for to get that, bhakti is the one essential thing. It's as simple as that. To know God through jnana and reasoning is extremely difficult. I can relate to my spiritual dimension through pure knowledge. It's possible, but it is extremely difficult. We will find even in the Srimad Bhagavatam, there are two slokas which indicate that, that why jnana is difficult and bhakti is commendable. He is not saying that jnana is something which uh, you shouldn't practice. You can practice, but it is difficult. Why? We will relate to that Bhagavatam sloka, that there are three types of people for which these three types of practices are prescribed. Nirvinana, who are extremely detached, who has already developed a tremendous detachment. For them, Jnana Yuga is okay. okay. You resort to the path of Jnana. You just realize that the world is having no substance. It can lead me nowhere. I renounce it. You have tremendous power of that renunciation. And with, along with that, the willpower is also there. If it is a fuss, I am not going to deal with it anymore. Here it ends. Nirvinanam Jnana Yoga. But we all know it's not that easy. Just once I realized just the way a drug addict knows very well that addiction is causing him or her extreme harm. Can he leave it? No, because the addiction is so strong. For us also the same similar condition. Though we may understand that Brahma Satya Jagad Mithya, God is the only reality, world is after all just a flow. Still, we find attachment. So for all that Jnana Yoga cannot be, Nirvinana, only for those who are extremely detached, somehow by the grace of the divine or by the practice in the previous life, he has already developed the tremendous detachment. For them, Jnana Yoga is prescribed. It's a Bhagavatam sloka. Nirvinanam Jnana Yoga Nyasinam Iha Karmasu And those who are extremely attached, they have to go through that Karma Yoga lot of actions, thinking that yes, I am offering it to the divine. Through that gradually they have to develop detachment. Tesham anirvinna chittanam karma yogastu kamya. So that's the thing. For those who have been totally disgusted with works and have renounced them, that is the sannyasis, the jnana yoga is suitable. And for those whose minds are not disgusted, who are extremely attached, for them karma yoga. Then for whom this bhakti yoga? Now you will find that why it is easy. We can all relate to it. The next sloka in Bhagavatam that yadrichaya mat kathadav jata sraddhastu puman by whose grace somehow we have developed a taste for the scriptures, for the spiritual lives, for the illumined lives, for the scriptures. Yadrichaya why Yadichaya? Most probably I had no plans to go to some religious discussion. By chance I was there. It happens in our life. I was by chance in some place where religious discussions was going on. I never had any idea of that type of uh, ideas. Just hearing I find, wow, it's wonderful. It happens to most of us. It's such a nice, it, it has as if opened up a new portal in my life. 
And actually, it was not my plan. It happened somehow. So that's why that yad ichraya is as if a grace. Yad ichraya mat kathadav jata sraddhastu yah tuman. And the little sraddha develops. Wow, it's a nice idea. Why not I orient my life according to this idea? And then we find the difficulty that we, though we have developed a little detachment, but still we cannot simply say that no to that world. That as it is wrong, I leave it there itself. I cannot do that. So na nirvinno, that I am not extremely detached, na ati sakto, na ati sakto. Neither I am too attached that I find that these words do have meaning. I cannot simply brush it off. That at the same time I find I cannot simply follow those words and leave everything. Neither am I too attached to the world uh, so that I can just simply ignore these words. So this pull is there. For them bhakti yoga asya siddhira. So these are the two slokas from the Bhagavatam. And where we will find that we fit in, where we fit in. This is our situation. And here bhakti becomes the easiest, easier path compared to jnana. Bhakti is not easy. It is easier to jnana. Many may say, oh, bhakti is easy. Bhakti is not that easy. Because throughout the world, in the name of bhakti, what we find, Swami Vivekananda told, and you will find literally it's true in the present world, that when I say I am devoted, you just judge your own heart. How much devotion is there? It's almost nil. But how I show my devotion? I show my devotion by sowing my hatred, intense hatred, to all those who doesn't believe the way I believe. So it is actually the expression of tremendous hatred throughout the world. That's what's going on. That to prove that I am of such and such faith, I go on denouncing others, abusing others physically, mentally, emotionally. And that's how I am a great devotee. So that's why I'm saying the devotion is not easy. It's not that easy. That Swamiji told if we would have developed a little love in this, our heart, that we all speak of love. If we would have really developed a little love in our heart, this world would have been changed. That love is not that easy. Yes, but compared to that jnana, it is easier. And that's what Sri Ramakrishna is prescribing. That he, what he says in his words, that as we find reflected in the Bhagavatam, that to know God through jnana and reasoning is extremely difficult. So it's better to resort to love, to, love, to bhakti. And that bhakti can be developed. How it can be developed? As in the Chaitanya Charitramrita has been mentioned, the same thing Ramakrishna will be mentioning. Let's just read the words and then we will try to relate. For one who by sheer fortune, actually that's what we have just now read, that sloka, then the master sang, who is there that can understand what Mother Kali is? Even the six darshanas are powerless to reveal her. Actually, this song relates to the words which he has spoken. That all the faith, they are like the watch. Everyone thinks his watch is correct, but no one's watch is correct. But at the same time, by faith in that, it can take you to the realization. The six darshanas are the concepts. Darshana means my angle of vision. It speaks of the limitation. Darshana, the word darshana is very interesting. Darshana, if you say philosophy, it's a very loose translation. It's not the exact translation. Darshana means to see. It speaks of perspective. And the perspective itself speaks of limitation. How it speaks of limitation? Suppose to take any building. If I take the photo from the east 
and a photo from the west, from the north, from the south, all the photos will be different. Is it not? Is it going to be the same? No. So as per my perspective, the angle of vision, this is the truth. But that doesn't speak of the entire truth. So that's why all the darshanas are powerless to reveal her. It just expresses is a part of a partial, a part of the reality. It cannot express the reality. That's the darshan itself speaks. The word darshan itself speaks that it is my perspective. That's the see if you can translate the words literally, then immediately it will make you humble. Yes, I am a Vedantin. I am an Advaitin. Yes, my perspective. That way I cannot say the other's perspective is wrong. From other's perspective, he is yes. From that perspective, he is also correct. So that's why darshana is not philosophy. Philosophy is the search for truth. Here by the word darshana, directly you are accepting the fact. It is not the truth. As I am yet not capable to realize the truth as a whole, it's a particular perspective from which I am seeing the truth. And they are powerless to reveal her. It's very natural. So that's why Vedas were the scriptures which itself declared that the ultimate reality is beyond the Vedas. So the same, these words are so, that's why very, very strong, pertinent. He who is there that can understand what Kali is, that's what she's singing. Even the six darshanas are powerless to reveal, us, to reveal her. The master said again, the one goal of life is to cultivate love for God. The love that the milkmaids, the milkmen and the cowherd boys of Vrindavan felt for Krishna. When Krishna went away to Mathura, the cowherds, roamed about weeping bitterly because of their separation from him. So again, now you will find that the love which speaks of viraha, that's the highest form of love. In the devotional scriptures, the viraha has been given extreme importance. That my separation from the Lord creates a tremendous anguish. You may say, why it is highest? Just the way I cannot just even live for one, uh, what do you say? Even one, uh, uh, more than three, four minutes without oxygen. If my oxygen is obstructed, if I am not allowed to breathe, three, four minutes I will die. And when I am not allowed to breathe, the way I feel for this, to have a puff of breath, the way you are feeling, to just you are gasping for breath, that is the thing which speaks of viraha. Is your condition like that? That little separation from the Lord makes you feel terribly uh, anguished. The terrible anguish is there in your heart. So that's the highest form of love. Otherwise, it's just a mere fancy. Just the way, okay, that uh, as uh, Swami Vivekananda used to say, for most of us, religion is just a, a hobby, a fancy. And to explain that, he used to say that, suppose I have the habit of collecting antiques. So many antiques I have in my house. And then I find that the Feng Shui should also be there. The Italian, those marble statues are there. So many things are there. I have those wonderful carpets. One thing is missing, the Feng Shui or the laughing Buddha. I buy. So among many things, it is also there, one thing. So I go to some place and they ask, oh, this I am initiated by such and such Baba. Are you initiated? I feel a bit embarrassed. I am not initiated. Oh, let me take. And then I take an initiation and I can also say, yes, I am initiated. So that also has become like a fancy hobby. So that way we cannot really, really develop that love. Have 
the love for God created has created such an anguish in your heart that if I forget, if I somehow the day-to-day -day my engagement doesn't allow me to think of him as I as I'm habituated in morning, evening, or throughout the day, you will find that those who are devotees, those who have resorted to the spiritual practice, if some events come which doesn't allow them, they feel as if they're out of waters. So that's the viraha. And that's the idea which has been highly uh, praised in the scriptures. And to express that devotion, which speaks of that separation, tuned to that Sri Ramakrishna after saying that the cowherd voice is to weep bitterly from the separation. That's on the same uh, theme. He immediately starts singing a song. Saying this, the master sang with his eyes turned upward. Just now, I saw a youthful cowherd with a young calf in his arms, there he stood by one hand holding the branch of a young tree. Where are you, brother Brother Kanai? Means a cowherd boy, as Krishna has went back to went to Mathura. So in for that separation, he's somehow holding himself with the holding the branch of a tree and crying bitterly, Where are you, brother Kanai? He cried. But Kanai scarcely could he utter his the pangs of separation is so much that just by saying ka, he can utter no more. Ka was as such as he could say. He cried, where are you, brother? And his eyes were filled with tears. So this is the song. Now this words for us now means not, no meaning. But when Sri Ramakrishna is singing, just try to imagine, and all are hearing, it creates a wonderful effect there. And it's such a means, palpable uh, Sensation is there that's being related by the master. That uh, when Aim heard the songs of the masters laden with love, his eyes were moist with tears. Just can imagine that what a tremendous spiritual environment vibration it is to create. Ramakrishna singing with full devotion, oblivious of the surrounding, and it gets transmuted. That emotion gets transmuted to others, and that's a wonderful uh, environment. Just think. And that should create a craving in us that when we also can get such type of environment where our devotion will blossom. So here we find that separation, even in the Narada Bhakti Sutra, we found that they had told that Bhakti finds manifests in 11 ways. And there also we found that the highest is this Viraha, Parama Viraha Shakti. That is the last thing. First, they told, first it comes with Guna Mahatmya Shakti. First, I just, uh, when I read the scriptures for the first time, read the life of Krishna, all his deeds, that may make, overwhelm you. That is the Guna Mahatmya. Rupa Shakti. Rupa is very important. Uh, in our tradition, in Hindu tradition, the form is a very important thing. Well, most of us don't know why. When we are encountered with questions, sometimes we find a bit embarrassed that God is without form. Why form? Again, we are saying all the spiritual beliefs are a way. They are. They doesn't speak of the absolute. They are the pointers. You know how Rupa helps? Rupa helps a wonderful way. Nama Rupa. What we do, we imagine, we just visualize a form and go on repeating the name. That's the main practice, spiritual practice of the, in the Hindu tradition. Any, any culture, whether it is a Vaishnava Shakta, at last, 
whatever is the chosen ideal, the ishta, they imagine, visualize that form and go on repeating the name. You know what's the science behind it? This is the practice which can really help you in tremendous concentration. You know why? You just analyze the way we think, your thought. Each and every thought has two aspects. Nama, Rupa. When suddenly I'm sitting here and the mother is sitting in his house, his child is in this, her child is in school, the thought of the child comes in her mind. What, in what form the thought, what will the aspects of this thought? Two things. The moment she thinks of her child, the form of the child will be visualized by her. It will come to her mind and she will be repeating and she, the name of her child also will be in her mind. So each and every thought has these two aspects, Nama, Rupa. Whenever I'm thinking, you'll find something you are visualizing and you need a language to think. That language has become a part of your thought. So the language and visualization. Now, however, abstract maybe your spiritual ideals. God is without form. It appears to be very nice. Without visualization, it makes no meaning. You will find sometimes, however you try, some form of visualization will be there. We are all idolatrous. Some form. You may be thinking, when you say God is limitless, you will be thinking of ocean, sky. They are also form. Is the God the sky? Is God the ocean? No. Some form you will resort to. And that is not bad. It is required. Why? You will find it happens. Sometimes mechanically you are taking the name without visualizing and it happens, you know, day-to-day life. I will find that the name is being repeated, but the visualization, all sorts of visualizations are happening. You're visualizing so many things, but mechanically you're taking the name. And that's how you find the mind as the thought has two aspects. You have not taken care of both the aspects. It becomes so difficult to focus. So Rupa Shakti is something very important. It makes the focus very intense. The visualization aspect is also taken care of by focusing on that Rupa. Your mind is not allowed to waver with all those visualizations. And the Nama takes care of the language aspect of your thought. Both the aspect is taken. Now the focus becomes intense. So this is a way. No, it is not speaking of the absolute goal. So we ourselves don't know the uh, our the, the reason, the philosophy behind our practices. So if you know it, no one can uh, just uh, what you say that uh, take you away from your practice. No one can. You, yeah, there is no need to feeling embarrassed. So these are the things which has been indicated: guna shakti, rupa shakti, puja shakti, smarana shakti, like that. The 10 has been indicated. And at last, Parama Viraha Ashakti. Through all those practices, when you develop that tremendous devotion, where even for a minute, if I am without the thought of God, I feel that tremendous anguish in my heart. As Sri Ramakrishna used to say, that when the thought of God has become like your toothache, when you are having a toothache, you may be doing all your activities. You are busy with all your activities. But can you forget that ache? It, has all, it is always engaging a part of your mind. You can never forget it. So that's why Sri Ramakrishna used to say that it should become like your toothache. And that speaks of that viraha shakti. Little forgetfulness immediately makes you feel horrible, terrible. And when you have developed that, then you should be sure of the fact that you have really developed devotion. 
So through that song, he's indicating that, that try to develop so much devotion that without the thought of the God, you feel as if you are out of waters, like a fish, you're out of waters. So with this, we stop our discussion today. We will continue with the study of the gospel again in the next class. So thank you all. Namaskar.